0: Well, let me welcome everyone who's here this morning. And as was said earlier, we do have visitors. We're glad you're here. And we want to invite you to come back. I hope we make you feel welcome. You'll want to come back and be with us often. We have a really good number of people present this morning. I trust from James' comments that everybody enjoyed uh, the week and the holiday. And I uh, hope you, no, I started to say, I hope you overate, but I, I don't need to say that. But anyway. Uh, I hope you enjoyed it immensely. I know we did, uh, quiet family gathering, but uh, enjoyed it very much. Getting into our lesson this morning, we're going to continue to talk about edification in my church, and I want to emphasize that that way this morning, that when we're talking about the church, this congregation, the Lord's church, of course, it belongs to Him, but it also is ours. It is my church. It is something that I'm part of. Uh, Literally, the church is made up of the individual members, and if you are a member of the church, then you are certainly part of this church. It is yours. And so I want us to talk about the church this morning. I'm going to call this lesson, very simply, In the Balances, and that will become very clear what I mean by that as we get into the lesson. So let's begin and make some observations. And hopefully this... uh, Hopefully it'll work. If not, I'll get it in there. All right, edification in my church. Let me just make some observations to begin, and then we'll we'll kind of focus on some of these points. Edification, of course, means to be built up. It literally is a term of construction. It is literally in the original, it means to build the house. And when we talk about the house of God, we're talking about building each of us, building up each other, quote, in the faith. And that's the idea behind it. But in order to do that, there's got to be a balance. That's why I call the lesson in the balances. There's got to be a balance between spirit and truth in our worship. And I believe if we study church history, if we make just an observation on what is currently the case, and we could broaden that out into all religions, or we could bring that home just into the Church of Christ and begin to look at various congregations and movements and ideas philosophies within the church of christ i think what we would find is that people tend to settle between one of two sides and so there is the formal high church service what do i mean by that the high church service is one that is that focuses on doctrine it focuses on the faith the written faith and doing things exactly as god wants Now, I'm not talking about the right or wrong of anything right now. I'm just saying that's what it focuses on. It is very formalized. In other words, there is a ritual when you, quote, go to church. There is a pattern. There is a a, a ritual. There is a formal way of doing things, and you know what that is going to be. So, for example, when you come here, as we did this morning... You expect to have someone up here making announcements and opening with a prayer. You expect a song leader to lead, you know, two or three songs. You expect the Lord's Supper at a given time. You expect that I will preach at a given time. Or Wes will, or someone will, for about the same amount of time. And we'll close, as we normally do, with an invitation, a song, and a prayer. You expect that. It is ritualized. It is formalized for the most part, and so we come to expect it. When we talk about a high church service, that's what we mean. It is the focus on the faith, the doctrine, the ritual, doing things in a set way. It can become so ingrained in your mind that you forget the purpose even. You forget the reason why we do what we do. We just do that, and that in itself makes it right, and it becomes what is right. Now, there's the extreme reaction to that, and there always has been. A lot of people say this started in the 60s with the hippie movement. It did not. You can go back in church history, and you can see people reacting against the high church, the formal church service, all the way back. And I mean literally all the way back. But the informal, some will tend to settle toward the side of the informal. We don't want the ritual. We don't want things to be formal. We don't want the focus to be so much on the doctrine, the faith. And so there's the informal. In the 70s, the tag that was placed on this was charismatic, coming from a Greek term. uh, that The idea, though, of being spirited and emotional and all of that kind of thing. I want you just to look at that for a moment. You may, in your mind and in your heart, in your feelings, be one side or the other. Even gathered here this morning. You may think that what we need to do is we need to have things formal and ritual. And we need to focus on that and only on that. And you may shun the emotional. And any time someone gets emotional, you're not happy with that. You know, feel good about that. On the other hand, you may fall to the other side and you will, will make comments like, I'm sick of doing things this way. And so forth and so on. So you need to ask yourself, where do you fall? Because go back and notice the opening comment. If we're to be built up in the faith, there must be a balance of spirit and truth in our worship versus one or the other. Obviously, and I believe obviously, we're going to look at a passage and talk about it. God wants both. It is not that God wants the high church service and it is not that God wants the charismatic or spirited service. God wants both. And both really benefit man. The person that tends to fall to the high church side forgets that God created us as emotional creatures. And when He gave us these emotions, He expected us to be emotional. And I'm not convinced, and from what the Bible teaches, I am certainly not convinced that we leave the emotions at the door when we walk in here. Now, by the same token, You may see me and you may see Wes and others and we focus on Bible and truth and doctrine and we should. I am not a person that believes. I do not think that God teaches that as long as you feel good about it and you get excited about it, it doesn't matter what you do. No, God wants us to do things the way he wants them done. And so as I say here, God wants worship in truth with our spirits given to each act of worship. And so, we need, then, acts of worship that are doctrinally correct. That's why we talk about it. What should we do when we sing? Should we, as I did growing up, should we accompany that with all manner of instruments and so forth? Or should it be the instrument of our heart? What should we do each Lord's day? Should we, each Lord's day, observe the Lord's Supper? Is that what God teaches We focus on the truth. We want to ask ourselves, what does God want? We want our our acts of worship to be doctrinally correct, but we want enthusiasm. If you this morning, and I don't get up and try to police the Lord's Supper, I don't turn around and look at anybody else because I want to concentrate on what I'm doing in the Lord's Supper. But if you're sitting there and the bread comes around and really what it is to you is a piece of cracker, break it off, chew it, eat it. And you're really thinking about a host of other things. Same thing with the juice, and you're really thinking about everything else, whether it was turkey on Thanksgiving or jerk chicken and buffalo wings, whether it was that or it's what you're going to have today, or you're going to have some more leftovers today or whatever. And you're just doing that and going through the motions. No enthusiasm, no emotion, no giving of yourself while you're observing that, and as Bill emphasized, remembering the death, the body and blood of Jesus, if you're not doing that, then is that what we're supposed to be doing? I think most of us would say no. You know, from a practical standpoint, we can mix things up. We did last Sunday morning. A lot of you you enjoyed that and gave really nice comments about that service, that song service, and I appreciate that. We can mix things up like that, and we do. And we've... In our four o'clock service on Sunday, we've taken to do in a number of different formats. Those of you that are taking advantage of that, you know that we have song services and debates and we take questions and deal with things like, that people want to know about. I mean, we do it, we're doing all of that. We mix it up. And that's fine. You can change the format. Sometimes I preach like I'm preaching. Sometimes we do a song service like last Sunday. Sometimes I do the question and answer and so forth. But you can do all of that and be creative and really, we must encourage widespread personal involvement. I want you to get involved. And, and, and literally, I elicit response and elicit involvement in things like the song service and certainly the question and answer. But I also want you to really be getting involved in the lessons. Hopefully, you're paying attention. Some of you, and I know several of you do, take notes. Some of you take very good notes, incidentally, when I've seen them. But you take notes and you follow along. A lot of you meet me at the back and you have a comment or a question. And that's great. If you're getting involved in that and you're really internalizing what's being said, and we should do that. And all of that within the confines of the Lord's commands. Now, let's make an observation. Again, the Lord wants neither what normally happens. And this is just a graph or a picture. I've shown it once before in here, but... Uh, and I thought I'd show it again, mainly because I spent a lot of time making... The, no, that's not true. <laughs> but it emphasizes a point. In the Church of Christ, a lot of times what you have is the suppression of spirit, emotion, to the elevation of truth. In fact, I think you would find the sentiments within some people is that there should be very little to no emotion as long as there is truth. Because that's what we're interested in. Truth meaning, and I want you to understand, meaning the actual command, the authority for doing something. So in other words, to to be very honest about that, as long as we're singing a song and there's no instrument accompanying that, we're doing everything God wants. And it does not really matter how much I'm thinking about the song how much I'm giving to singing the song, as long as we're singing without an instrument, we're fine. There's a suppression, a pushing down. And any time anyone gets emotional, if they laugh, if they cry, if they show emotion in any way, we need to suppress that. We need to hold it down or hold it back. And that's what you generally find in conservative, mainline, whatever you want to call it, churches of Christ. And so unless there's been a... A reactionary movement. And there has been among some. There's a reactionary movement against this. And so they will sway to the other side. And they will emphasize emotion and begin to push truth back down. And sometimes they push it back down too far, is the idea. But unless there's been that kind of reactionary movement, that's really what you find. Now on the other hand, you can find this. This is what I grew up with. This is what a lot of you grew up with. And that is the idea of a suppression of truth. In fact, I can remember one church argument, just one. And it was over, it was an interesting thing, it was a Bible class in which somebody made the comment that the Lord really only gave two commandments. Now you can guess them easily, love God and love one another. And others in the church said, no, that's not true, there are a lot of commandments in the Bible, you know. And believe it or not, that was a debate that raged on for a while. Church meetings about that—that that is the only one, the single one I can remember, where the discussion was about truth, doctrine. Generally, what we discussed when—and I was a member of that Holy Church of Christ, as it was called, that Pentecostal church. But generally, the church discussions were about the Spirit. How can we? We're very emotional. How can we get even more emotional? What can we do? And it mattered little when they would suggest doing things different ways and so forth. It really mattered little what the truth was. I don't ever remember in a discussion like that, well, what does the Bible say? You know, it was just a discussion focusing on emotion. And how can we get more emotional and more involved and more people involved in emotion? And so forth and so on. It was a suppression of truth, a pushing it down, a pushing it back. So we could lift up the idea of our enthusiasm, our emotion. And that's typically what you find in denominational uh, denominational churches. Because the emphasis in our day is less on doctrine and more on what gets people excited. What gets people moving. What makes them feel good and feel happy. And when they come here, what we want them to leave with. Now I was taught this and I hear this. When they come to your church, what you want them to leave with is a great feeling. And as long as you can foster that great feeling, you've done your job as a pastor, etc. And there's very little emphasis on truth. Oh, truth is discussed. I mean, councils are called together and there are conventions that are brought together. And doctrine is discussed and debated. But you don't want to take that out to the masses. Because the masses, you just need to make them feel good so they'll want to come back and be with you. Now, I want you to look at this up here. I said at the top, the caveat was the Lord wants neither. Do you think the Lord wants either of those? Is it that we should emphasize truth and hold back spirit? Is it that we should emphasize spirit or emotion and hold back truth? Is it that in any way we should suppress or push down or push back or hold back either one? Is that what God wants? Turn with me to John chapter 4. My answer to that is no. It is not what God wants. This is what God wants. A balance between spirit and truth. Because you see, human beings tend to be one or the other. It's very natural for an individual to either get very emotional or very logical. And in your own life, you know this is the case. Sometimes you're arguing a point, and it's a point that has facts, and you want to recite. I I would suppose around the, the table Thanksgiving Day, there were a lot of discussions. Some said there were going to be a tremendous amount of political discussions. I don't know if that was the case at your house or not. But the point is, when you get in those, you either fall to one side. Either two people are screaming at each other and they're highly emotional and neither one is making any sense. Or they're in a very logical debate and one is citing a fact and the other is countering with a fact and you're back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. That's what we tend to be. Is that what God wants? And the answer is no. In fact, Jesus said it like this. Go with me to John 4 if you're there already. This is the occasion when Jesus was tired and thirsty and he sat down by Jacob's well, and he asked a Samaritan woman for a drink of water. And she was astounded. And she was like, why are you asking me for a drink of water? Because as she said, and if you look at verse 9, you can see this, the Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. Jesus was like, I, I'm not caring about all that emotional stuff. That prejudice and so forth, some of that will enter in my sermon tonight at 4 o'clock. But Jesus is saying, I need a drink. And in fact, Jesus turns it into a spiritual discussion. And so the woman begins to counter with a fact. Now, there's sort of a logical discussion that goes on here. And if you'll notice, the woman says, pick up with me in verse 20. The woman is a Samaritan, and doctrinally, even though they share a heritage with Abraham, they believe different things. And one of them, very simply, is the Jews... Look to the mountain in Jerusalem, and that is Mount Zion, and that's where the truth issues from, and salvation is of the Jews. And the Samaritans looked north to the Mount of Gerizim, the Mountain of Gerizim, and the well that was at the foot of it, Jacob's well, and they said, That is the mountain to worship in. And so they argued that for about 700 years, literally. And so in verse 20, she counters what Jesus is saying about the living water and all of that. And she said, our fathers worshipped in this mountain, Garazim. Our fathers worshipped in this mountain, but you, you Jews, say that in Jerusalem is the place where men ought to worship. And so you can see the discussion here. But Jesus said to her, woman, believe me, the hour comes when you shall neither in this mountain nor yet at Jerusalem Worship the Father. You worship what you do not know or understand. You know, we, the Jews, know what we worship. We know because salvation is of the Jews. And really what he's saying there is, I'm the salvation. I'm the one that is come. You worship, you know not what. We know what we worship. Verse 23, the hour comes and now is when the true worshipers shall worship the Father. Notice the diagram up here. In spirit and in truth. Now I want you to notice what Jesus does not say. The hour comes when true worshipers will worship the Father in truth. It doesn't say that. And I want you to notice what it also does not say. The hour is coming when true worshipers shall worship the Father in spirit. It does not say that. And so if you are on that previous diagram where you're suppressing spirit and elevating truth then you're not a true worshiper. Now, that may be hard, but that's the truth. And if you are on that previous chart where you are elevating spirit, emotion, but you care less for truth, you are not a true worshiper. Because Jesus said, the hour is coming when true worshipers will worship in spirit and in truth. God is spirit, verse 24. And they that worship Him must worship Him in spirit and in truth. Now, notice the point. God is spirit. What does he say? God must be worshipped and obeyed as God. It is God who will tell you the truth. It will not be you deciding what is the truth, you deciding what is important, you deciding which parts need to be put out and kept in and changed. God is God. But God is also spirit. God is a spiritual being. And you know, I'm going to say this, and you can go home, and and I wish you would. Check me on this. God is a very emotional being. God feels. God laughs. God cries. God shows emotion. In fact, you can find emotion attributed to Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. God is Spirit. And they that worship... Him must worship in spirit and in truth. And so you see what Jesus is teaching is that true worshipers have to have an equal balance. Neither one can ever get out of whack, though that's what we want as human beings. We tend to get things out of whack, out of balance. But God wants spirit and truth. He wants an emphasis of spirit. Your spirit, my spirit, our spirits, our emotion, our sincerity our excitement about what we're doing. In other words, when I think of coming to worship God, when I was younger, a young teenager, and very involved in the Pentecostal church, I generally got up on a Sunday morning and thought about me, honestly. I thought about my performance that day. And I was in the choir, so I was going to be singing, and I might be practicing a song I knew we were going to do. Or when we were singing and, uh, you know, the, the musical part of the service. I thought about me. I thought about what I was singing and what part I was singing and how good I was doing or not that day. God wants sincerity and excitement about Him. When I sing a song and I read the words, Father, we thank Thee. We thank You for the rest of the night. You know, our heat was off since late Tuesday night, sometime in the night. Our heat went off. And they got it back on yesterday. Man, did that feel good last night, you know. <laughs> I used to think about the idea of just, let me just, when I was younger, let me just tear across the country, uh, take a blanket, you know, and throw it out on the ground. Whoo, I would not want to do that. I love the heat. Thank you, Father, for the rest of the night. Thank you for all the blessings I had this last week. Sometimes, you know, we did last Sunday morning. We, we want to take time. And just sincerely express our emotion to God. We love you. We thank you. People did that this morning on the table. And I appreciated that. Thank you for everything we have. Thank you for what you've given to us. Especially our Savior. Thank you for doing that for me. So I can pray to you, God. And have my sin removed. And so I can go to heaven someday. I ought to be excited about that. I don't really want to get involved in singing a song or praying or the Lord's Supper in remembrance to that. But I need to do it like God wants. Because after all, and you know how this is. If you've got a parent or you've got a grandmother or father or whomever, anybody on this earth. If you've got an individual that loves you, that's sacrificed for you. And you know it. This person could have had this or they could have had that if they hadn't spent all that money on me. You know, They could have done this or that if they hadn't given all that time to me. And you know that. When that person says to you, I'd like for you to do me a favor. I know how that feels. And I'm sure you do too. And it's like, great, what is it? Because I'd really like to give back a little bit. Then that person tells you and you're like, no, nah, I will not want to do it that way. I want to do it my way. Because this is what I like to do better. And you'd see the sadness on that person's face that you're just not even willing to do that for me. Don't you think there's a sadness on God's face about that? I want you to do this. I know it's simple. I know that it's the kind of thing that anybody could do anywhere on the earth. And really all they need is some grain... You know, a little bit of oil and a grapevine. And you can pretty much get that all over the earth where people are. And that's what I want. And I don't need it made into some big, glorious, elaborate thing. That's not what I wanted. If I would wanted that, I would have told you. But this is what I want. It's kind of like when your, your grandmother says, you know, Mike, I want you to go out and get me. I'm really craving such and such food. Now, she has simple taste. I want you to go to this diner that I like and, and get me a, a box lunch because I'm really craving it. And I'm thinking to myself, you know, boy, there's a steakhouse in Huntsville and they sell $200 steak dinners and I'll get her that. And she would have been like, that's not what I want. I, I really wanted this Box lunch from Gerald's. Montel knows all about Gerald's back in Alabama. That's what I want. And that's what Jesus wants. And Jesus wants you to open a psalm book or words by memory. It doesn't matter. But he wants you to sing a simple song and just give it what you've got from the heart. That's what Jesus wants. And on we go. That's what the Lord wants. And there needs to be an emphasis of that. It's not because I'm so hung up on doctrine that I don't care anything about emotion, because I'm a very emotional person. But it is just a simple truth, and that is, I want to do what Jesus wants me to do. Because I owe Him a lot. In fact, I owe Him everything. And I want to do something for Him that He really wants and that will please Him. I'm sure when Jesus hung on the cross, I know that Jesus was caring for other people. He took time out for a thief. When that guy wanted to repent, it, to repent, he looked out at the people even that were killing him, and said, "Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. Woman, behold your son." All he was thinking about was us. We owe him. Let's do what He wants. And let's get excited about it. It can be neither. Spirit, Orchard, it must be both. (coughs) Excuse me. One final observation and we'll be done. Because our identity, remember that's what this year is all about, what identifies the Church of Christ. Our identity really hangs in the balances. Because when someone comes in, and there may be a visitor here who has never been in a Church of Christ before, We we have them from time to time. And they watch what we do. And when they watch what we do, they're going to carry away an impression from this place. Our identity in that person's mind hangs in the balances. Now, we can emphasize and stand for, and we need to, truth, truth, truth. We need to emphasize the truth. We need to teach the truth. In every part of our worship, we are doing what we're doing because this is what the Lord wants. This is what the Lord has commanded. True, true, true. We need to teach it. We need to demand it. We need to practice it. And when a person comes to this place and leaves from this place, we want them to say, they have the truth in this place. They really do. I went there and man, I saw Bible from beginning to end. They're emphasizing truth. They're looking at what the, they talk about it, discuss it. What does God say? We want them to say when they leave this place, the truth is in that place. And you know something? We need that balance. So that the spirit is in this place. And it's equally strong. There's a song in our songbook. Edward is it 882. It's 8 something. But anyway, there's a song in our songbook that says there's a sweet, sweet spirit in this place. There's a sweet expression on the face of the people here. We want people to leave this place saying they really have the Spirit in that place. They really are an emotionally excited group of people about doing the truth. That's what we want. And if a person comes here and observes us, and people do And they walk away from us saying they have truth and they have spirit. You know what that means? We are true worshipers of God. And it identifies this church. That balance identifies this church. I mean, me personally. And you personally. I need to, as we say today, own responsibility For the edification of my church. I need to be part of what's building this place up. Not tearing it down. I need to be part of constructing this church as the Lord wants. Just like Paul talked about carefully building. A wise master builder, etc., etc. I need to want to construct this church exactly like Jesus wanted. And so that it is identified always by truth. And spirit. So we are emotionally excited, sincere about doing exactly what Jesus wants. If we do that, we're going to attract anybody and everybody who wants to worship God in that way. If you're here today and you're not a child of God, you believe in Jesus. You know He is the Son of God. You know that Jesus gave His life for you as we talked about a moment ago. You know that the Lord calls you to be a child of God. To confess your belief that He is the Son of God. To know that, believe it, and to live like it. And so you confess it and you repent. You begin today to change your life. You work on things in your life. You take them even one by one. But you overcome things and you add things to your life so that you will be what He wants you get excited about that because you see results. And the more you overcome and the better you do, the better you feel about yourself. But you also know that begins by obeying Him and being baptized. So your sins will be washed away. So you get a clean slate, a fresh start. And so that anything and everything you've ever done is cleared from your conscience and your account. Maybe you're here today and you've done that and yet your life has fallen back into a way that you know is not pleasing to the Lord. And you want to change that. And we'd love to pray together with you. So please come while we're standing still.